We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance Lights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's going, you know, one day at a time. <laughs> It's a, a big week of finales and premieres, both this week and a little bit next week as well. Yes. Uh, this week we have the Last Resort finale and potentially the Parenthood series finale. Yep, yep. And of course we had the Spartacus premiere. That was uh, nice to have Spartacus back on our TVs. Yes. And we also had the uh, American Horror Story finale, which I guess is sort of like a series finale. <laughs> we we have the Vampire Diaries finale at least in our heads because we can stop watching. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 yeah. get there. We'll get there. Uh, before we get there, though, we've uh, had some great comments from you guys this week. We heard from Brian talking about the Peter paradox in the Fringe finale, which I that that name is awesome. So well done. And uh, and he's of the opinion there are too many possibilities to to really know what would happen by getting rid of the observers. So you know. There's no, you know, why, why try to puzzle it all out? Because there's, you know, probably both Peters would be alive in that case. Was was his was his thought on that? And yeah, that's a valid point. Why pull at straws? Really pull at the, at the threads in in a finale that I want to like, anyways. So good point, Brian. Thank you for writing in. We also heard from Mario, who does watch Last Chance Kitchen on demand. So apparently, I need to try to figure out why I'm not finding it. And he was with you. I was hoping that Last Resort was going to blow up the world. We'll get to Last Resort a little bit later. Uh, let's see. Bob didn't watch the following because of our spotlight of shame. Woo! I don't think I've ever been prouder. What? Weren't there two people who didn't watch it because of us? <laughs> well, I know that Dan also really enjoyed our spotlight of shame. I don't know if he was planning to oh, watch right, the show yes. and then stopped. I, okay. I'm not sure. Well, in, in any case, we, we, we stopped at least one person who may have told someone else. You never know. You never know. It's like our anti-following following. following. (laughs) We also heard from Shannon about the following and uh, had a lot of fun chatting with him about uh, the the various, you know, issues with with that show. Regardless of its time slot, uh, the, yes, the the, the, the perhaps structural and scripting issues, which was a lot of fun to have that conversation. Keith, unfortunately, was the bearer of bad news, was the one who let me know that Ben and Kate got canceled, or at least has been pulled. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And also, he's breaking up with the Vampire Diaries, so well done. He did it before this episode, too. Ah, uh, that's that's a good man. That's a good call. Ken wanted to know what our first spotlight of shame was, which was touch. We had some fun talking about that. And uh, let's see. But, I, but actually, there were two previous spotlight of shames. I think last week you said there was one, but there were two. There were two. What was our other? Do we the spotlight Downton Abbey? Did we actually shame that one? Nice. We totally did. Oh, well done, well done us, because we really did not <laughs> like the end of that uh, season. Nope. <laughs> of course, it is. Uh, and then, of course, we also heard from Michael, who was talking about scandal and uh, the the last resort stabbing issues. Of guys, if you ever are presented with a stab wound, and there's like 
I don't know, a knife still in the person who's... Or a screwdriver. Or a screwdriver or a shard of glass. And do not take it out. That's just, that's like basic first aid 101. It's never a good idea to take it out. And apparently uh, Scandal did that right. The the character took it out, but that caused the person to die. (laughs) Then they're (laughs) like, why did you take it out? (laughs) I watched Last Resort. (laughs) Anyways, that was pretty fun. Also, Well, they wouldn't have said that because they're dead. Well, yes. (laughs) uh, Talked a little Doctor Who with Kyle, too, the the specials that they have going. Um, And then also, of course, it is Western's month at Sundance site. And so I talked a little Liberty Balance with Dave and uh, Walter Brennan, Justin, because Walter Brennan is a freaking national treasure, or, or was, perhaps is more accurate but gotta love walter brennan um speaking of westerns month i do have my article up about high noon and rio bravo and the blacklist took quite a while but that one's up and i've got i'm gonna have to get my scoring one up in the next few days because we're running out of january yes yes we are uh and also next month is uh keanu reeves month Woo! how that happened is you well you can blame the the voters actually but yes that's that's what's happening Oh, I'm looking forward to that, man. You have, uh, come on, you have one of your your most uh, entertaining and accurate time travel movies, Bill and Ted. You have The Lake House, which I enjoy, and I know many people really don't, but I I still enjoy it. You gotta love Keanu Reeves. Yeah, we're gonna do some podcasts on. I mean, I don't know exactly what we're gonna talk about, but we're 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 gonna do some some Keanu Reeves podcasting. So. That is definitely something to look forward to. So that will is it? Yeah, I think it is. It's gonna be fun. Okay. At least I, I'm looking forward right. to it. But but we should get into our week in TV, and so let's kick it off with Tuesday and the Tuesday comedies. Ben and Kate Bake Off, New Girl, Pepperwood, Mindy Project, Hooking Up Is Hard, and Cougar Town Between Two Worlds. Unfortunately, it appears this is the the the, the final episode of Ben and Kate, at least uh, until maybe they burn a few more off in the summer or something, but at least they went out well. Yeah. A single tier. Uh, I'm really going to miss Ben Kate. I mean, it's, it's still, it's actually still not officially canceled. They basically just, Fox basically come out and said, yeah, we're not going to make any more, but it's not canceled. Cause I guess they don't like to use the word canceled anymore anyway, but yes, it's, it's gone. I had heard that they're going to finish up the three that are left. That would be nice. But they're, you know, they're pulling it off the air They're It's not going to be on. Well, somebody's, uh, I mean, they've got to tie up all those cliffhangers and loose ends. Otherwise, I'm going to be really upset. Uh, perhaps they can pull a last resort and accelerate things at the end. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it was a good, solid final episode. Uh, I know we're both huge fans in particular of the uh, of the BJ Maddie scene involving British, <laughs> various British and Australian accents. Uh, that's just a, a great showcase for both actors, actually. And I don't know, I, I, I'm... I feel like if I worked for Fox, I'd be upset right now because I would have really, really wanted this show to work because it's just so clearly populated with great comic performers who are just so uh, who are so easy to empathize with. And that's not always easy to get. I mean, how many comedy pilots have we seen where we just don't care about who's on screen or who's on screen doesn't uh, doesn't get along? I was reading a piece also on NPR about how Ben and Kate was like one very one of very few comedies where the friends actually seem to enjoy each other's company basically all the time. <laughs> and I'm going to miss that as well. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and I'm sure we're going to see all these people on other stuff. Um, but you know, they're not all going to be on the same thing, which is going to be too bad. Yeah, it really is too bad. And while, you know, while, while, yes, the show has been pulled and 
I would love to have seen the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll see it at some eventual burning off point uh, later later down the line. But I, I do have to give the, the people at Fox credit for sticking with it as long as they have. Because it's not... At this point, the ratings are not a surprise. They haven't gotten better. I don't know how much they really dipped after the first several weeks. And there was a strong sense from from the TCAs that the guys at Fox were, were very aware that they have a good Tuesday comedy block, but nobody's watching. And so they're trying to figure out what they can do to, to, to have some sort of a win on Tuesdays. And unfortunately... Though Ben and Kate is great, and uh, and Raising Hope is is though we don't talk cover it on the Televerse, Raising Hope is really good, and I really like the Mindy Project at this point. Nobody's watching, and so they have to try to figure out something. Unfortunately, what that means that they're going to do is is burn off the rest of Raising Hope, airing two um, two episodes back to back, and then <laughs> replace it when it runs out with Kitchen Nightmares or yes. something like that. Uh, one of the Ramsey shows. Yeah, I'm. I- I'm always mystified as to what comedies get popular and which ones don't. Like, why is New Girl doing well? Although I I hear it's doing less well than it was before. Uh, like, why does New Girl do relatively well while, like, nobody watches Happy Endings or Ben and Kate? Like, they're not really that different, are they? Well, what I find most interesting is the uh, the contrast amongst the critical community of people who are watching these comedies. Even just with us, where... We I we both like happy endings, but I really like Cougar Town, and you don't, and I don't understand that. It's not that I dislike it. I just oh, I get why people like it. It's just not just doesn't really do it for me on the level that Ben and Kate does. Let's say. Well, and that's what has been interesting on the especially if you just compare all the Tuesday comedies, when you when you hear uh, look at different reviewers or, or recappers or critics talking about Tuesday comedies, pretty much everybody has a different. Hangout comedy, all of which are doing middling at best, that they prefer, and it's really hard to put a finger on why. I think it's just, you know, comedy is such a personal thing, but you have, you know, if you put five critics in a room, probably they would not, they would not put the the shows in the same order. There would probably be a pretty substantial difference. Well, I'm willing to bet the slightly older critics are more lenient towards Cougar Town as opposed to New Girl for obvious reasons, and you know, younger viewers maybe skew towards New Girl for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm this isn't scientific at all. I'm just totally pulling things out of my arse. But you know, it's I'm sure there's obvious factors that contribute to each to each show. And I'm I'm not really sure if Ben and Kate had a good niche to draw from. Like, I don't know if single moms really watch enough TV to appreciate a show about a single mom because they're too busy being single moms. Momming. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just didn't, and you know, it didn't have enough will they, won't they action maybe for people. I know people love that stuff, so, Matt. Yeah, but the, the trouble is then it becomes a different show. If you try it, you know, maybe if they did this or maybe if they did that, it wouldn't be what makes Ben and Kate yeah. Ben and Oh, Kate. I, I'm not suggesting they should have done that. I'm just saying oh, that yes, from a marketing yeah. standpoint, maybe they should have done that. <laughs> well, anyways, let's move on to the rest of the this past Tuesday's shows. Uh, what did you think of uh, New Girl, for example? I didn't think it was a particularly good new girl, to be honest. Uh, you know, the idea of Nick infiltrating the uh, her writer's class was kind of kind of amusing on, at first, but I don't know. It, it was just a little bit too over the top and not and just too silly for me. It, which sounds silly, like it's like a stupid complaint about a show like New Girl, but I don't know it didn't quite work for me. And I and I thought that the the um, the effort to determine what everyone's pogo was was it seemed like a too 
like a too obvious attempt at the show trying to coin more, like trying to find more coinage of its own that's going to be infectious. And I don't know, it, it didn't really work for me. Oh, see, I enjoyed the Pogo conversations, particularly uh, CC trying really hard to be in on that. I thought that that was entertaining. So I guess I like this one more than you did, it would seem. I, the the Pepperwood stuff, the ridiculous Chicago accent was entertaining. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing Nate Cordry pop up. I, I, I like him. Um, but yeah, I would actually give the, the, this week, I would give it to Mindy Project and Cougar Town over New Girl. I thought they both had really strong episodes. Uh, I'm very much enjoying the Duplass brothers on, on Mindy Project, and we'll, we'll see what happens with that relationship. I, I think they've done a good job of handling the, the will they, won't they subtext of, of their main long-term couple, which appears to be Mindy and Danny. Uh, I think they've done a really good job of just not addressing that and having the characters aware that you know they have some sort of an attraction, but it would probably be a bad idea, but without ever fully addressing it, I appreciate that, and I think it's it's nice to actually see a show do that, whereas I feel like, for example, with Nick and Jess on, on New Girl, they've been far more on the nose. It, I feel, you know, when you compare those two relationships, it's sort of, you know, it feels like New Girl, they're just delaying and delaying and delaying for when they're eventually going to come to a sweeps episode and get Jess and Nick together, and on Mindy Project, that doesn't feel like it's the case so i think they're they're handling that well as for cougar town i enjoyed the superpowers of the group that was pretty great and i hopefully you know we'll see some of them come back and i continue to really like really like this season so hopefully we'll get more of uh ron mexico down the line though it does seem like he's ridden off into the sunset but yes more quality tuesday comedy and i will miss you ben and kate when you are gone are you going to replace ben and kate with anything moving forward or are you just going to have one for your show I, I'll, you know what, I'll answer that next week. I don't actually know yet. I don't plan okay. these things. They just sort of happen. <laughs> also on Tuesday was the Parenthood finale, the first of several finales this week. And this was Because You're My Sister. And uh, yeah, we, we, had talk, we were talking briefly about whether we should have a season spotlight, whether we should, you know, spotlight this episode. But we decided that, you know, maybe this wasn't as a big of a wow episode as some of their others have been this season. And perhaps you guys are a little tired of us talking about some of the overall themes of cancer equals good, everything else <laughs> equals not as good. Um, but I wanted to specifically ask what you thought of the music in this episode. There was some very prominent music. And then also, if this could be a series finale for Parenthood. We don't know if it's coming back. Oh, it's coming what, back. Apparently it does quite well. You know, we don't know. Maybe it'll come back. Um, hopefully it will. Maybe it won't. Would your opinion of this episode and the season be affected by this if it were, was a series finale as opposed to a season finale? I don't think so. I mean, I think whether it's a series or a season finale, I was a little bit disappointed with just how pat most of the resolutions turned out to be, which would be fitting for a series finale. But just it, it seemed like a lot of the tough questions that were kind of percolating in previous episodes just kind of got magically resolved this week, especially as it relates to Victor and that storyline. It's just like, oh, every every bit of his sort of uh, of his behavior and his sister's behavior just sort of magically fixes itself this week, thanks to some ties or something. I don't know. Uh, so that that was really unsatisfying to me, especially since we spent so much screen time on that storyline this season. And, and it did have some some promising directions that it didn't it, it decided to avoid. So that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, and in general, I just I thought, yeah, the music was a little bit much um, just 
whenever I hear like, and a lot of the time I I can't even identify the music on this show because you know they've got cheap music supervision. But I, uh, you know, whenever I'm listening to a, if you actually listen to the lyrics of a song while it's playing and it's describing the scene you're watching, that's not good music supervision. I'm sorry, it just isn't. It's it's irritating if it's got some sort of interesting counterpoint or. If that parallel is extremely subtle, it can work. But when it's just describing to you the thing that you're watching, it's infuriating to me. Just, doesn't that bother you ever? Yes, that definitely does. Okay. Especially, it's less frustrating if there's no dialogue in the scene. But especially when there's dialogue amidst, and then every, you know, whenever they pause, the lyrics come up, you know, in volume in the song, yeah, yeah. and it's exactly what the characters have just said. That does drive me nuts. Okay, just checking. Gotta say. Uh, there was a little bit of that this week. They'd gotten better for a little while, but it it did come back this week. And uh, as you predicted, or I I mean, I, as I guess the promos predicted, we do uh, we lost Ray Romano at the end with the possibility that maybe Lord Graham will rejoin him somewhere in the future, maybe, but kind of unlikely. Uh, and I thought those scenes worked well, even if I didn't care to see Jason Ritter ever again. Um, I I did think her scene uh, with him, her last scene with him, really. Uh, was nicely played. Yeah, and I think I actually I think Lauren Graham, well, while that arc has been somewhat problematic all season, you've, anybody who's been listening for for a while will have heard me complain about that triangle. But I do think she got a lot of good material to work with here, and I really appreciated um, just her her reaction at the beginning of the conversation with with Hank when he says he's leaving. I I really appreciated just the, her the way that she just deflates and goes son of a bitch timing (laughs) (laughs) but uh but i also really appreciate the that they did that that they had her make a decision and instead of just having him leave and then the decision is made for her that i'm not interested in seeing that so while yes it seemed very obvious why isn't he just moved to minnesota because then he can be by his daughter and it's not like they don't need photographers in minnesota uh, the fact that, you know, the way they handled the scene, the fact that uh, Hank had that camera for Max, which was such a lovely, such a lovely note, I think made that scene work really well, as well as, of course, Raymond has been fabulous all season. I did finally see some Men of a Certain Age, a few episodes, and it is as good as we think it is, so. Yes, Eventually, it is good. I, I've, only seen, I've only seen the first season, but I remember really digging it, and uh, I'll have to get to the, uh, hopefully someone will ask us to shelf it at some point in the near future. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, and I, and also like, I know that it was somewhat earned kinda, but the whole adoption sequence with the entire family there and everybody chirping in and derp de derp derp was just too much. I'm sorry. It was laid on too thick. Oh, I was okay. It started at the, when the sequence started and we had Zeke chiming in, I was rolling my eyes, but by the time we got to the the various uh, potential, uh, romantic, advisors i thought that that worked and was you know was was entertaining and it, of course it fits in with the show's theme of family and parenting and all of that and yes it was on the nose and about as subtle as that that shot we got towards the end of one of the previous episodes of of max dancing to to an endless supply of skittles but i still you know i, I gave it to him because i've come to appreciate and enjoy the show enough that i was willing to how about uh the cancer resolution that's pretty much what i was expecting personally i didn't think i mean they can always come back to that because there's no reason they can't or shouldn't but i wasn't really after they brought her so close to death i didn't think that they were just going to kill her in the last episode that would have been a real (laughs) kick in the pants 
I, w I was glad that they resolved it to some extent within the season. I think that was smart, especially if it comes back. I, I think they needed to resolve it if it was going to be the series finale, but you, you know, even if they had left it up in the air, which would have been potentially more realistic, I, I feel like the next season will need to start fresh with the, without that uh, overarching thing kind of pulling it down and immediately causing a direct parallel to the season before. I will say I was, I was surprised... Uh, how effective of a gut punch seeing their friend, her friend, in the cancer ward was. That that really worked. Yeah, that was a really nice scene, especially considering we've seen her, what, once before? Yeah. I, that actress, I've been seeing her pop up everywhere. She's on Bunheads, of course. Yes. I just watched uh, Good Night and Good Luck was the one that I saw her in. But uh, I enjoy her, so it was nice to see her pop up, you know, even for just one scene. Yeah, and we can assume probably her last scene, to be honest. Probably. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully there will be more parenthood in the future, and hopefully we'll see a no longer cancer-stricken character passing on the, the sweater. But let's move on to Justified and Truth and Consequences. Justified! And I, I guess they were not kidding about that mini-arc thing, because bye-bye, Preacher Man! Yeah, that guy is dead. Uh, and I, 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 yeah, I guess I shouldn't say anything else about that, but yeah, he's he appears to be very much dead. And although the sister's still around, so I'm assuming, or sister, or whatever the hell she is, um, will, I, I assume that she, that will, there'll be some repercussions to that. But yeah, I was not expecting him to be gone by the third episode. So well played, justified. And that was, uh, I actually wasn't crazy about the staging of that initial sequence with the snakes and the music, especially. I found like, uh, like usually I have no issues with the music unjustified, but that was a bit much. Uh, but first of all, I mean, the snake to the face was cool. <laughs> And also, um, the, the entire last sequence with Boyd just kind of tempting him into into his own fate was just beautiful, and uh, and and really well played by all concerned. And uh, I, I have to say, I also really like the scenes we got with Raylan and Randall, and sort of sort of preparing for a duel that never actually happens because he's just totally playing Raylan, which I thought was <laughs> was was really great. And um, I was glad somebody else noticed his strut, and. Um, Let's see what else. A lot of stuff was good. Uh, the Marshals actually got stuff to do and apparently will continue to get stuff to do, which is shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, we had some nice, uh, a couple of nice little moments with Rachel this week that I very much appreciated. And I and, and, and even Tim got that great line about, uh, I've got a lot on my mind. Yeah, you hide it well. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great little zing. There has to be at least one perfect zing in every episode of Justified for the show to work, I think. Um, and also the name Theo Tonin was invoked, so I guess we can expect Adam Arkin at some point. Yep, sounds about right. It's always good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's still, like, only the vaguest indications of where this is all going, but I guess next week we're going to get Rachel and Raylan teaming up to find his girlfriend, so that'll be fun. Good times. <laughs> I remember as I was watching that and she was describing the con to Raylan, <laughs> was that, was that just, was, ding, ding, ding! <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> Weren't you telling her about how you had just got ten grand the other day, and you were, she saw you put it in your drawer? Yeah, it was, I'm glad that uh, they went that way. I, I assume this is not a she got kidnapped situation or anything like that. Yeah, I but hope. at the same time, like she was clearly enjoying herself. So, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, there there should be a fun measure of ambiguity there next week. I think. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it, and I'm digging this structure. I don't think we've had any particularly standout episodes for Justified in the way that we have, you know, in the previous seasons to this point, but I love that we can kill off what seemed like they were going to be a, you know, really prominent character 
for the entire season in episode three. And it gives, yeah. that, you know, stakes and uh Well, because when we met him, when we met him, I was like, okay, this is a cool character. Not really sure how much they can do with him, mm-hmm. considering he's not a drug dealer or a kingpin or anyone who poses any kind of real threat. Oh, okay, that's what they're doing. All right, <laughs> I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah, we'll see what what's up next uh, for Justified, but uh, definitely enjoying it so far. And I gotta say, the, the the line about the Gary Cooper walk, as someone who's been watching Gary Cooper westerns this past week, I particularly enjoyed that parallel. So thank yeah. you, Justified, for reading my mind in advance. Let's move on to Wednesday and Top Chef Seattle Wolfgang Clucks. And uh, is this a ding-dong moment for you? Kind of. It felt a bit hollow, though, because it was clear, or at least based on the editing, it seemed clear that Brooke did a worse job. It just, I mean, it just, it based on their reaction, based on their discussion, it just seemed like Josie was getting retrospectively smacked for what happened last week. Yeah, I haven't read the blogs yet, uh, but because they so vehemently claim that every week you are only judged on the plate that's in front of you, I'm a little uncertain if if that was just editing that like they wanted to to leave some you know leave it up in the air until the final moments, or or if that is an accurate portrayal, because that you know you did strongly get the sense of you know what I'm tired of hearing Josie bitch about not having enough time and she gave us this greasy kind of tasty but you can only really only tasty for two bites until it's gross piece of chicken, bye bye, as opposed to actually you know, being accurate to what they were fed. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, you're, it, it, it didn't feel honest. And and just think about how frustrating it would have been if they sent Brooke home this week so that two weeks in a row, Josie, like, essentially eliminated, like, some of their best chefs. <laughs> like, that would have been compellingly frustrating, I think. Now, do you think that it would affect the show? Obviously, it would make it harder to follow, which is, I'm sure, why they don't do it. Do you think that this show would be better if they if they didn't know who cooked each food each thing when they eat it when they were eating it if they weren't so this is Josie's chicken and they have her present it if they instead try all the stuff and then you know I kind of feel like that would be needlessly convoluted they they, they should be able to be objective or at least not to carry their resentment from one week to the next and then maybe save their total valuation for you know the finale week or whatever that shouldn't be that difficult to do. And maybe that is what happened and the editing just betrayed them. But yeah, I don't think they should have to bring in a gimmick like that. So any predictions now that Kristen's out? Of course, Kristen did, it seems, handily uh, beat Josie in Last Chess Kitchen. So she's still in the running to maybe come back. Any predictions for who the rest of our final three are going to be? Oh, I don't. I hate to predict things like that, but I'm sure Kristen will be back. There's no way she's not going to trounce everyone. The, everyone else? Everyone else, uh, she's just too good and too hungry. Um, but as for everyone else, I feel like now that Brooke's gotten her screw up out of the way, I'm, I'm sure she'll go back to being solid, hopefully. Uh, other than that, it's kind of tricky. Everyone, there's no, Christian was so obviously head and shoulders above everyone else that it's hard to remember who was good week in and week out. I mean, Sheldon's doing pretty well now, so I could, I could see him being there for sure. We'll see what happens, uh, as we move forward with Top Chef, but, uh, yeah, I'm so glad they did a fried chicken 
episode and that they all espouse their love of fried chicken because fried chicken is delicious. It's just true. I wish it wasn't so delicious because it's so unhealthy. Yes. But Although it's funny that they all said they loved it because only a few of them made it. <laughs> Next up on Wednesday is The Kroll Show, which you watched last week. You saw the premiere of. I have not checked it out yet, but we forgot to talk about last week. Want to make sure we talked about it this week. Did you watch this week's episode or just last week's premiere? I, I only saw the premiere, and honestly, I mean, like most sketch shows, variety shows based around a single performer or a set of performers, it's a mixed bag. It's very rare that shows like this are front to back amazing. I think the I mean the best recent example we've had is Key and Peel, and I don't think this is quite as good as Key and Peel, but it did have some some bits that uh, that really got me. In particular, of course, about sorry, I should say a boot. Uh, a third of the episode was taken up with Wheels Ontario, which was his take on uh, on Degrassi Junior High, or just Degrassi, depending on which iteration you're talking about. And I thought that was hilarious from start to finish every time that came up. And I wish it was a part of – and maybe it is. I haven't seen the second episode yet, but I'm hoping it's just a part of every single episode. That's how much I enjoy it. But, you know, it's not often I get to see entire chunks of episodes devoted to – devoted to you know very specifically canadian references in a, in a sketch show so uh that's just me other than that yeah not the greatest and I, di- I didn't laugh as consistently as i did say the premiere of newsreaders but not bad and certainly above average for sketch comedy and especially oriented around a single performer so well done nick kroll and hopefully you get better from here Next up, we have Supernatural, LARP, and The Real Girl, which saw the return of Felicia Day as Charlie. She, of course, was in one of the best episodes of last season. Unfortunately, that's not saying as much as I would like. But she was actually the best part of that episode, too, and really injected a lot of fun and and uh, a more entertaining element to what had been an increasingly dour previous season. Here, it's a fun episode. She's good, but unfortunately... There's, it's back to a sense of, uh, look, it's Felicia Day, whereas that, I didn't get that sense the previous time she showed up, that character showed up. It was, a, it would have been a surprise to see her if it hadn't been so heavily promoed. And I do, actually, I do really enjoy Felicia Day. Come on, she went to school for, for, for a dual major in math and violin performance after getting into Juilliard. Of course I have to like Felicia Day. She's a mega geek and a violinist. It's a beautiful thing. However, I don't necessarily like how she's used in this episode. I I think putting the brothers in a LARPing situation is hilarious. Of course, Dean gets into it and would be awesome at Numenor or some of those other uh, other SEA activities. But um, yeah, the overly jokiness of some of the moments don't really work as well. The character isn't used as well. And I think when you're they're in the sort of high stakes situation that they were in last season with that character bringing her in gives you know a nice contrast whereas here the whole episode was felt more gimmicky and uh, and therefore it didn't that contrast wasn't present the other thing that i wanted to mention was was dean and fairies uh given his last experience with fairies i was hoping that there would be more comedy from that but instead they just went the other the other way with it and uh focused at all entirely with charlie so it was a fun episode. I guess I just had higher hopes for it based on how successful Felicia Day's first appearance was on the show. But uh, we'll see We'll see what happens moving forward. And I'm definitely liking the season more than either season six or season seven. So that's a step in the right direction. Next up is the American Horror Story Asylum finale, Madness Ends. And what did you think? I know you were trepidatious. 
I was. I thought this was a lot better than last week's episode and a surprisingly good finale, although, as others have noted, not really a horror finale, just kind of more of a dramatic finale, which is fine by me. Uh, not as much of the sort of wacky, almost so, almost so outre their comic elements and uh, not so much of the gross elements either, although we did get a split second shot of Chloe Savini and her no arms, so I guess that's something. Uh, they decided not to bring that back, and they decided not to do a lot of things, which, frankly, I was happy with. I didn't really, especially by the time it got to the end, I really didn't care to get an explanation of the aliens. According to Ryan Murphy, he's done with aliens, so we'll, ne we'll never hear anything about this again, which is fine by me. No explanation of the possession stuff, no reappearance of L Lily Rabe or uh, James Cromwell, which is fine by me. All this stuff was fine because most of what we got on screen with the characters we still had left uh, was was great. Uh, I particularly liked, uh, of course, the final confrontation between Sarah Paulson and Dylan McDermott, which uh, ended precisely as it should, uh, which was nice. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> cements, cements my feeling that this is the season of showrunners loving abortion. Just this happened. This one happened a little bit late. Anyway, it, it wasn't surprising, but it was still satisfying. And I, th I think that was what was best about this. It, it wasn't so much focus on crazy twists, just sort of nice uh, but not necessarily always safe uh, ways to conclude each storyline, which uh, and, and also some really beautifully executed scenes, especially when uh, Francis Conroy, the angel of death, uh, comes for Jessica Lange. I thought that whole sequence was just gorgeous. Uh, and this show could stand to use more, could, could stand to do more, even more vi visually with the uh, sequences like that. So, yeah, I, I know Murphy's talking about talking up an, another period setting for next season, which I think is smart. I don't think they need to do any more contemporary stuff like ever. Um, and, and some of the contemporary aspects of this season didn't really work, like most of the Dylan McDermott stuff, for instance. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I have reason to be cautiously optimistic for next season, but the fact that they're talking up, talking it up as like sort of a comedy romance thing, I don't really know what they're formulating for next season, to be honest. But if it's if it's as good as this season, I'll be, I'll be happy. I thought it was a very strong finale. Interesting. I'm probably still not going to watch next season either but uh, i will continue to follow from enough of a distance that i can you'll you know, continue to read every detailed synopsis i don't i don't need detailed synopsis just you know a general oh that's what happened this yeah. is you know this is why recaps exist i am the niche apparently yes for, for recaps on thursday we had more comedies we had 30 rock a goon's deed in a weary world and parks and rec had women in garbage and then archer the wind cries mary Last week, we were very happy to have Archer back. We enjoyed 30 Rock and also Parks and Rec. How did they fare this week as compared to what were some pretty darn solid outings last week? I, I was shocked to discover that I thought 30 Rock had the best of these this week. I can't remember the last time 30 Rock had the best episode on Thursday night compared to Parks and especially Archer. Um, and especially considering the circumstances. But yeah, I thought the 30 Rock was really, really good. Really funny. Quite sweet. And I actually thought... It was a little abrupt for those purposes, but I just, it, I actually thought it would have worked fine as a series finale. Like, I know that there's, I guess, two final episodes coming next week. Uh, but, I, re I mean, really, this episode resolved most things that we actually care about and, you know, left left Jack McBrayer in control of the network, which is, you know, which is fine and fun. And, you know, I'm, there are a few more notes of finality they can get out of that last hour. But I don't know. I, I was very happy with this episode in general. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as you did. I preferred last week's episode, I would say. And um, the yeah, I, th I think the, the note that it ends on, it, it works well. I was less enthused by the 
Willy Wonka or Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory homage. Yeah, the ending of that didn't quite work for me, and I don't. It just didn't. I don't believe that Jack would do that. I guess, and so it didn't quite didn't quite work. I know that everybody else that I'm hearing from though loved it, so I'm. This is one of those instances where I'm pretty sure that I'm wrong, <laughs> as opposed to the show. So we'll see. Maybe if, if I rewatch it at some point down the line, I, I might change my opinion on that. But the you know, having Liz finally be helped by her team, by them quitting and, and stopping yes. and not doing work <laughs> did feel appropriate. So I did I did enjoy that. Also, I enjoyed her panic dream, and the and Lutz in her panic dream. Guys, it was pretty great. So so I, I like this one, but I did like Parks and Rec a bit more, if only because we got to see you know more April helping, and I always enjoy when April helps. Yeah, I mean, that was all right. But in general, I was just surprised that Leslie was being so dumb in this episode. I mean, like, it takes her nearly the entire episode to figure out that it's a setup for some reason. Like, really? It wasn't obvious from the from the moment they said, oh, we have an unscheduled pickup and it's the biggest item in the city. Like, really? Really, Leslie? Come on. <laughs> uh, that that kind of bothered me. And in general, the, the whole basketball plot line was just a bit random, I thought and didn't really take anybody anywhere new. Okay. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like everything in this, in this episode was subpar for parks pretty much. Even Ron. Yeah. Even the Ron stuff. Oh, I like that. I like, I like, and finally, you know, figuring out how, how to, to connect with the kids and the kids shunning Jerry as well. Yeah, that instantly. was great. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was great. You know, the kids are adorable and you know, Lizzie Lawless is great to have around, but again, like it was cute, but not hilarious, I didn't think. Unfortunately, I think we would agree, by far the weakest this week was Archer, The Wind Cries Mary. <sighs> yeah, you know, I, I was really excited. Maybe I was too excited about this because obviously it's the Timothy Oliphant episode and we're never going to get another Timothy Oliphant episode of Archer, I don't think. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it did have its moments for sure. Like I, I liked all the stuff with Lana and Cyril. And and the performance review, and actually that alone probably elevated elevated it above Parks for me this week. But the whole the whole relationship between Archer and Lucas was not the funniest thing they could have done with that. And I don't think as much as it did, like I I did kind of like the payoff of them in the car at home at the end, and Lana's just like distress face <laughs> uh, was was great. And you know there were there were lots of chuckles to be had, um, you know Krieger etc. But yeah, definitely not one of Archer's best episodes. See, I I didn't think it was particularly good, and that's for me. I I, I love Archer usually, so I, that was disappointing. But I I wasn't as disappointed perhaps as you were because I don't I didn't understand why people were so excited about a Timothy Elephant episode. Obviously, here at the Televerse, we love Timothy Elephant, but he's not a comedian. When I think of him, and I think I I don't he's very funny. He can be very funny, but. That doesn't come from his vocal performance. If anything, it comes from his timing, but his physicality. So when you're going to have an animated version of him, he's not going to get that element to his performance. And he's not going to, you know, the, the, the dialogues that they're going to give him, he's only going to have so much control over the timing of that. And so I, when I think of what would make an effective, who would make an effective guest star on Archer, I don't for a moment think Timothy Oliphant. Uh, you're you're deflating all my fun here. What's happening? <laughs> you know, take take even Raylan, the same character, or 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 Bullock from Deadwood, and put that character into into Archer. 
maybe there's a way to make that work, but Oliphant himself, I, I you know, so, so I was disappointed because it wasn't very funny, and because they just, I, I don't know why they thought that would be, this would be a particularly entertaining, you know, I think a different, I think a different actor could have made this character work more, and because it was Oliphant, they were trying to, to play up certain elements of his, um, his persona as an actor, as like that, that Western trope, but. I, I guess, I mean, I, I think the real problem was just that the whole, like, the whole, like, pseudo-gay panic thing, which I know it wasn't really, but mm. kind of almost was, just wasn't the best comic avenue for them. Like, yeah. I, I, it feels like all these characters should have been way past this and just into something even, like, like way more out there. Well, it felt very much, to me at least, it felt very much like, isn't Timothy Olyphant just so pretty? Everybody can agree, <laughs> right? That, you know, regardless of, of, you know, gender and sexual preference, everybody can agree that Timothy Olyphant is just, Gorgeous. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's the sense that I got from it. Therefore, taking you know, translating that with Archer, you know, and so I think they got so upset, you know, tied into that element of it and and that element of of Olivant, per, perhaps that they that they lost track of the co actual comedy. Yeah, but even communicating that idea you just said, I don't think the episode is very effective at that. So, yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely a bit muddled, and it definitely wasn't even nearly as good as the, ba the I mean, the essentially the justified, like, mashup episode we got last season. Oh, that so. was great, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> bloody Furlan. So, yeah, uh, ho hopefully they'll be back on par next week. Hopefully, yes. There should be more good stuff coming for Archer, if only because the episode they showed at Comic-Con hasn't aired yet, and that one's damn funny. So, there's more good stuff coming, I promise. But, unfortunately, we're going to continue with the Vampire Diaries, Catch me if you can, <laughs> and we're just going to continue sort of a slide into a, a, of quality here. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience what you told me about the Vampire Diaries this week? Oh, I actually, I you know, I, we got some some feedback on our Spotlight of Shame last week on the following, and I thought, you know, people really like Spotlights of Shame. How about we shame the Vampire Diaries because it kind of has earned it. And the the thing about and I and you and your response was it's probably going to get worse. To which I said. <laughs> but anyway, but I think what's really and I, and I didn't even get through last week's episode. I, I got through this one because I was determined to, and <laughs> only because I was determined to. It was it was an act of courage. But it, it's kind of amazing how I, I remember about a year ago you wrote up a list of things that the Vampire Diaries was doing well that other shows weren't necessarily like you know the way it sped through plot and the way it wasn't afraid to kill people off and the way it had the strong way female characters. Who didn't and need strong saving. female characters who didn't need saving and et cetera, et cetera. And it's done away with basically all of those things. Yeah. Like in, in not a very long period of time. In an astonishingly short period of time, really. Uh, that is very interesting that you bring up that article because I happen to have it here. And I believe I, we have here the Vampire Darius embraces change. Nope. Nope. Not anymore. Has strong female characters. Nope identifies and addresses its problems no <laughs> uses simple effects it's still doing that there's not a lot of visual effects okay fair enough prioritizes pace and momentum no keeps its char characters relatable and realistic no has a strong series memory eh. Yeah. Eh. establishes and abides by its mythology it, I I, it kind of just keeps messing with the mythology at this point <laughs> Yeah. Uh, commits. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it has commit. No, actually, I'll give it points. I'll give it too many points here because it's committed to stuff that it shouldn't have committed to. 
See, but in the same way, it it's it doesn't commit because and the last one I have is that it builds its mythology from its characters and it's still doing that actually to its detriment. But the the trouble I have with the commitment issue with with uh, Vampire Diaries right now is that it establishes things like, for example, expression is really bad and it, it's gonna make you uh, kill people and do terrible right, things. Right. Yeah. But then it doesn't kill April, and it you know it and it does things like the uh, the white oak stake will kill the entire line of every every vampire descended from the original that gets killed and if, if, uh, back at the beginning of the season or maybe it was even last season there was a brief talk of yeah we shouldn't really kill just tens of thousands of people that we don't know anything about that's probably not okay but then this week sure Go for it. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> we don't know if we are, if myself and all of my fr- friends and family are part of this line, but let's kill Cole anyways. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, like, for instance, if, like, I feel like season two Vampire Diaries in that scene with Shane and Bonnie when they're working on the spell, by the end of that scene, Shane would not have been alive. Yeah, pretty much. Like that he, seems about right. He would have been pretty Bernie. If he had been alive. Uh, and, yeah, just nothing. And you know what's When you're talking about strong female characters, I mean, really the only one left is Caroline, and she wasn't even there this week. Like, where is she? Yeah, that did not help. That really did not help. Caroline and, and, and the, actually, Candace Akala, who plays her, have been definitely one of the strong points, you know, the bright spots of what has been an increasingly frustrating season. But even just look, both Bonnie and Elena are terrible at this point as far as having control over themselves. Bonnie, she's utterly, completely manipulated and controlled by Shane, and obviously that's intentional. And then you have Elena, who's sire-bounded to Damon, so anything that she says or thinks or does, we are not supposed to believe because it could be the sire bond. Right, and they keep also like messing with what what a sire bond means and not really being very clear about that. Which, you know, you'd think after hundreds of years of being a vampire, they'd have a pretty good idea of what that does, and they don't really seem to. So mm-hmm. that's also frustrating. Basically, the show, like, when when you were trying to convince me to watch the show in the first place, I was like, I don't know, it's on the CW, it's about vampires, and it's got a diary, and there's love interests and pretty people. Oh, the diaries came back this week. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's Whenever the diaries sign. come back, it's not a good sign. Um, But, uh, yeah, the show has finally become... The sh- what I always assumed it was, which is just a bad supernatural soap, really. Yeah, the the season uh, started promisingly with all of the moral implications of Elena having been turned. There was a lot that to explore there, and in the past, you know, five episodes or so, it's just become increasingly frustrating and unbearable and, at and, a point. And have you noticed, like, she, she's had no trace of vampirism in the last few episodes also? Oh yeah, nobody's been drinking any blood. None of our characters that we like, at least. I don't know. Yeah. But we're okay with just a bar full of people being slaughtered, and everybody's like, let's still hang out with Klaus. What? He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Nothing. It's, it's not working. Unfortunately, I continue to cover Vampire Diaries for Send on Sight, which means I'm committed to reviews for the entire second half. Yes, there are 11 more episodes. I was going to ask. And, be, and because you're you, you won't just quit or hand it off to somebody else. Probably. We'll see. I might have to just because I don't think anybody wants to read the same negative review from me every week. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. We should also mention, of course, that your Justified review was up this week because you re- reviewed Justified for us. I do. I also reviewed Girls this week. We're going to get there, but I, I, we'll, I we'll filled in on that. 
So on uh, Thursday, we also had our next finale, the last resort finale, Controlled Flight into Terrain. And this was another disappointment for me. Thursday was not a good night of TV for me. Uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, the thing with the last resort finale is it wasn't that great, but I'm I can't be too upset about it because I kind of feel like you know Sean Ryan and company talked about how they had time to to rejig things, like they had enough, they had some notice when they got canceled, but it doesn't seem like they had a lot of notice, does it? No, <laughs> it seems like uh, they pretty much crammed half a season worth of events into forty minutes of television, which was just insane. So it. it, it I guess, in a sense, I was ha- I, I should have just been happy for anything in the episode that worked at all, uh, in, in retrospect. And I do think some things worked. I, 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 most of the scenes between uh, Chaplin and the XO I thought were good. I mean, as much as they've toyed with the XO's relationship to Chaplin and his you know, motivations in general, to the point where it's almost nonsensical, I did think when you got them in a room together, I thought basically all those scenes worked. And especially the one near the end when they were just laughing their heads off, I thought was fantastic. Um, and if they'd found room for a few more moments like that, I would not have objected. That being said, everything in DC sucked, and I think was the worst part of the episode. See, I had more of a problem with what was going down uh, on the island. Of course, Alan Sevenwell had a interview with Sean Ryan. It's up at Hit Fix right now, talking about what his original plans were, what got changed when he found out it was a series finale, what would have happened moving forward, which was very interesting. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. But what I found most interesting was that apparently most of the stuff that happens in these last two episodes was always going to happen. And then they just changed, you know, a couple things to give a resolution. Of course, they, they show the Jesse Schramm character getting released. The, they, she wouldn't have assassinated the president <laughs> and uh, the, the ship would not have exploded. But but a lot of the rest of it, the, the mutiny, all of that was always intended to happen. And so when when I look back on the issues that I've been having with the show over the past couple of weeks, a big one has been the XO and his relationship with Chaplin seeming to change overnight with little justification, at least on screen. And so while I do agree those scenes were the best in this finale, that doesn't change the problem that I have with I don't believe that the XO would turn on Chaplin like this. Yeah, I, I, I agree that's a problem. Uh, on the other on the other hand, most of what happens in the episode I don't think is necessarily bad. I think watching yeah. it happen over the course of this insanely compressed period of time where there's a mutiny, and then there's a mutiny in the mutiny, and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as you said, deus ex rapist. You know, like all this stuff was just too much for one episode of television. If it was spooned out over ten episodes like it was supposed to be, maybe it would have worked. Uh, but yeah, I mean... But that being said, you know, it's it's would you would you have preferred a, a, an average episode of Last Resort that just ended on a cliffhanger or, or are you glad they went full throttle and just sort of at the expense of sense or reason tried to try to wrap everything up? I don't honestly, I don't care that they wrapped everything up. I don't care. I wouldn't have cared if it had been left on a cliffhanger because by the end of the, these last few episodes, I don't care about any of these characters. And, and so therefore, when we're having slow motion Chaplin as the ship is, is going down, I don't care. And when we're having the EXO and him, it's I enjoy the scenes that are well done. And, Andre Brower is amazing, of course. When, when we're watching the EXO the get off the boat and have his voiceover, I don't care because I don't care about him. The only characters by the end that I cared about at all were, I guess, Chaplin 
I really did still enjoy the Autumn Reeser character, and and then I guess the uh, Admiral's daughter, but I didn't care about the cob. I didn't because I, I, I felt like those characters had been betrayed, and I didn't believe where they had come. But I, but I really think most of that happened in just this episode. Like I, I in no, not for me. No, because I felt like we, no. I felt like we actually really dug the last couple episodes. No, I didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> Are we, yeah, are... I, I had a, I had a, there's some there's some dissonance in the hive mind. Oh, all right. I just I seem yeah. to remember talking about this with you. I, it, yeah. Am I okay? All right. I think fine. I think I was holding out a lot of hopes for what the finale would be and that it would resolve or change or somehow inform what oh, okay. I, the character issues I was having already, but then it didn't. I, I think this is pretty clearly the the weakest of Sean Ryan's shows that the, you know even the other ones that have been cut short. That being said, I still have, there's still some really great, it's still a really great idea. It's really gutsy and crazy that they decided to try to do this show on ABC. Yeah. And, and you know, I still admire it. Yeah. And we also have to, you know, co-share the credit slash blame with Carl uh, Gajusik, who he co-created it with and who also co-wrote this episode. And you'll notice Sean Ryan did not have a writing credit. <clears throat> so yes, credit where it's due. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. At, after this, as I do, as I did when Awake ended, even though Awake had an awesome finale and this didn't, which is like, I, I think I said at the time, Kyle Killen, your your network experiences are done now. Please go elsewhere. And I, I feel the same about Sean Ryan, even though I know he has a <sighs> Beverly Hills cop pilot somewhere. <sighs> yeah, see, Awake left me very, very curious to see what happened next and very much wanting to see Killen's next show. This has left me with a sour taste in my mouth. So we'll see what happens next. Beverly Hills Cop is not an intriguing one, but hey, maybe it will be wonderful. We have no yeah, idea. Maybe. maybe it'll be great. Let's move on, though, to a, a happier topic, at least for me, the, the Spartacus War of the Damned premiere on Friday. This is, of course, titled Enemies of Rome, and it picks us up uh, a while after where, you know, where we left last season. And I gotta say, I enjoyed the hell out of this premiere. As much, you know, there's all the same violence and sex and ridiculousness that you could, should come to expect from Spartacus. But I also like that they take the time to have some really thoughtful interpersonal scenes where I'm, I'm watching this going, yes, yeah, silly, cheesy, campy, whatever, ridiculous, fun. And then we have that scene with Spartacus and Genicus, and it's incredibly personal and thoughtful and character-driven. And a, just you could lift that scene out, and it's a beautiful nugget of character development happening within this just craziness. And I love that you can have both on this show. Yeah, I, I love that you won't watch American Horror Story, but you will watch Spartacus, which I know the brand of gore and violence is totally different but it's still psychological trauma no thank you there's there's no psychological <laughs> trauma here fair enough but yes uh this this is easily the most uh carnage filled show in on tv if not in tv history let's be clear ever yeah it's just yeah how many beheadings and although i did like the detail that when spartacus beheads those two guys at the end he doesn't do it in one swift blow yeah. he's got to do it His back two. and forth uh and yeah uh, lots of good details, but the most surprising thing for me is they've killed off so many antagonists on this show that I'm always I'm always impressed when they manage to introduce a new one and I'm and I like them all over again. And this season we get Crassus and of course his horrible son Tiberius, who I'm sure we'll spend lots more time with as well. And basically all the Crassus stuff I thought was great. Yeah, it worked. It was very effective. Uh, they, I think they 
they needed to establish a, a strong villain and immediately to, to really make this season jump out of the gate the way that, you know, that we, we were hoping it would. And they were successful in that. And this should finally give us a villain who doesn't underestimate not only the gladiators, their fighting style, the, the, the rebels that is, but, but Spartacus himself. Yeah. Well, so, I, so it should be interesting to see. And I think it's also interesting to have a villain who isn't a total dick. I mean, like who, who actually does not, he does, doesn't just not underestimate them. He actually has kind of a reverence for them. And yes. that's not a position we've seen before that I can remember. And uh, it, in fact, it's totally different. So we, we're, we, we've actually got a villain you can actually sort of sympathize with, which is which is new territory for them. There's a difference between someone you can sympathize with and someone who you enjoy watching chew the scenery, which they've had a lot of. Basically, mm-hmm. everyone who's been on <laughs> on the Roman side, and yeah, major difference. And I, I I'm very curious to see what they do with that. And I mean, also, you you know, it's going to be a good season because everyone is going to die. Everyone is going to die. And it, I'm very cur- I'm curious to see if they spoon that out gradually, or if at the end it's just a it's just an absolute mess of everybody dying all at once. Yeah, that's the thing with this series. We know that the series is ending. This is the final season. And we all know how Spartacus ends. You can go to Wikipedia and look up Spartacus Although and there, there's see some, what the answer is. There's some ambiguity about it, but... Well, and I wouldn't put it past the show to pull an Inglorious Bastards and be like, hey, you know what? We get to end however the hell we want. And and I think that, that would be a lot of fun. And he would be kills great. all the Romans and becomes emperor. Whee! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but I think because we, if you, if they're going to follow history to some extent, we know what happens with the slave rebellion. I think it was very important to establish a, a villain that was in some way identifiable, that you could some way identify with and you could some way appreciate you know, or even maybe like or respect in, to some extent. I think that was very important and they do that here. Yeah. And it's it, like I said, it's a, it's a break with, with what they with ah, with what they've done before. And I, it let, and can we just give props to the fact that the show is ending on essentially its third season and that's it. And that's like, you know, people watch it. It's successful. It's got a huge following, but that doesn't mean that there's threat. Like the show clearly has a base based on the fact that it, it does have a, have a historical setting. That's quite finite. It has a shelf life and people involved in making it seem to respect that almost to yeah. almost to a degree where I'm a little bit upset about it. But, you know, but I totally respect it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's there's only so much story here, and it's wonderful to see them not trying to s- string it out as their cast continues to age. And you know, you could you could make each season, each episode take place during a day. There is plenty of bloodshed that they could examine if they wanted to do that. Maybe Walking Dead style season two, Walking Dead, I should <laughs> yeah. say. But it, it wouldn't be this show. Yeah. And no, the, the nice show plays that. only in broad strokes. You know, yes. ent- entire battles and and mini wars hap- happening in the space of an episode. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. It, 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 this show's a blast. And I, I'm sure it's got even better episodes up its sleeve for this season. So I'm pretty excited. Pretty damn stoked. Yeah, absolutely. On Sunday, we have Bob's Burgers and Broadcast Wagstaff School News. I'm sure I didn't quite get that timing correct for how that's supposed to sound. But it was uh, a fun episode. I haven't actually seen broadcast news so i uh I, i'm sure there are many references i was missing in this but uh but what did you think i haven't seen broadcast news either sorry 
But uh, yeah, it was it was a decent episode of Bob's. Uh, honestly, the whole Mad Pooper storyline kind of took a backseat to Gene being Bob for me, mm-hmm. which was so clearly the highlight of the episode. <laughs> and probably I, I could have just watched an entire 22 minutes of Gene imitating Bob. Yeah, that was pretty great. I, I do think it worked best, though, as sort of a recurring or running gag underneath uh, this other story that was happening. I very much enjoyed I just the mad pooper was just ridiculous and so wonderfully played. And and also the only the, the sort of thing that only Bob's can get away with. Well, and and only Tina can get away with on Bob's. Yes. even. it was perfectly yeah. crafted for for that character, and that that was great. But now having that underlining thread of of genius Bob, and and especially with uh, Linda's re- you know reaction and response to that was just fabulous. Yes. So. Well done, Bob's Burgers. Next up is Girls and Bad Friend. And this episode has had a lot of praise around the uh, the internets. What did you think? Has it had a lot of praise? I haven't noticed praise. a lot of praise. I've heard a lot of chatter. I don't know about praise. But anyway, uh, it was it was a decent episode of Girls. I, what's, I feel like they're really pushing the unpleasantness possibly to its limit uh, in this. I don't know about this season because it's early days yet, but particularly in this episode, I mean, you've got... Uh, Marnie having terrible sex with Yorma Tacone's horrible character <laughs> and uh, and also his horrible art. And I, I think I, I, I said this in my review, which I, I reviewed it this week, and it, I, I, I'm quite certain that uh, Booth is the first man in human history to get laid using Duncan Sheik. So, <laughs> so I guess well done. But um, yeah, I don't think there's as much separating people like Booth from our characters as they might like to think. And I, I do find that interesting. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun, and I, you know, I, I've heard some complaints about the the coke stuff. It's just, you know, it's very expected, the the portrayal, but I still enjoyed it. I like the the conflict with Elijah, and I, I like we've talked about last week, I have very much enjoyed his increased presence this season, and I like the way that that, that plays out in the episode. Also, the bringing it back to last season i do think the strongest episode last season was probably the one with the fight between marnie and hannah and so to come back to that this week i think worked really well yeah Uh, i i do i do feel the need to point out something that i noticed glenn kenny talking about on twitter because it was even more glaring this week i find it amusing how uh lena dunham's nudity is just all over the place Mm -hmm. and then when it comes to uh certain other people in the cast they seem a lot more sheepish yeah well, I, I can understand that with uh, with perhaps Lena Dunham not being completely fine with that, but not wanting to ask that of other people. Yeah, I just I, I just find it amusing because it's just mm-hmm. it's got it gets it's so glaring, especially this season. Yeah. with her topless is for essentially half the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It'll be interesting to see to like keep an eye out for that as the as the season continues. Or- or or maybe there's or maybe like Brian Williams is in the editing room just like shaking his fist at Lena Dunham every every once in a while. I don't know. That was pretty but, uh, hilarious when Lena Dunham was on the Daily Show and John Stewart asked just you know as a favor could you find a way to make Brian Williams more uncomfortable. <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah. That, well, I think I, I'm pretty sure the the scene with the doll and the yeah and et cetera probably probably did a pretty good job. Yeah, that was ridiculous ridiculous uh hopefully we'll get more exploration of yeah. marnie and I, I really i really like Tacone on the show as well i think he's he he does smart evil smarmy smarmy asshole really really well yeah and uh 
And I also love John Glazer in this. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, that just that end of the episode was ridiculous. And, and do you think he's going to be sticking around? We're going to see a lot more of him, or do you think he's just going to kind of pop up here and there? I don't know. I hope he does. I, I mean, I thought he was really funny throughout, especially when he shows up at the uh, at the at the at, at the drugstore just in tears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's he's just too good at that. Um, yeah, and and his like and his reaction to her sort of jumping on him at the end was pretty hilarious as well yeah i i'm I'm hoping he sticks around he he brings a totally different sort of presence uh and i'm also curious just i you know what i really want also is i want adam and booth to interact after he gets out of jail or whatever oh that would be awesome that would be hilarious because i kind of see booth as as adam's like dark mirror (laughs) well i feel like adam's the only character who would call booth on on him you know the fact that he's just terrible terrible <laughs> yes <laughs> wow yeah that's that's great so next up is the good wife and the seven day rule we of course got alicia making partner which for a fourth year associate is is very quick as well as we find out so many others and yeah it, it, and so we have a return of canning we have apparently the last of nathan lane for a while which i didn't get that since watching this episode but other people are, you know, in their reviews are talking as if he's not going to be back for a while. So maybe they know something that we don't. I don't know. What did you think of this episode? Uh, it was all right. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. But I, I have to say, in, in terms of dramatic stakes, I didn't. I wasn't all that invested in Alicia and her partnership or not partnership and other people's partnership, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the, the law firm's not going anywhere. I don't. I'm pretty sure they're not going to go bankrupt and be and and be dissolved, especially with Nathan Lane being as uh, pliable as he is. Uh, so I don't know that that whole plot didn't really work for me as a as a drive as a driving force. I did like the way that she, that Alicia just got increasingly fed up over the course of the episode hmm. and, and just and just declared her atheism at the end, which was nice. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a middling good wife for me. I actually, I liked the stuff with the firm a lot. I completely disagree. I think it works really well. And I, I think what works really well is, yes, we know the firm's not going anywhere. But this has always been a story about Alicia. And when you contrast where she is now with where she was as a lawyer, but also just morally and ethically and and in her relationship with these people, it's come so far. And I think that final sequence at the end of her going around and thanking each of the partners it's it's so hollow and it's so angry and and i really appreciate that i think this whole episode the drama of will she be part take you know the partnership or not is all about her and and her relationships with with will and diane which were so rock solid even just a week ago and now feel completely hollow and and crumbled away even I, I don't know that she feels any loyalty to will at this point because of this what do you mean what do you think we, we've seen so little of will over the last like four or five episodes that i don't even think of him as a consideration at this point okay so i i feel like we've seen a lot more diane and when we've seen will it's generally with diane and i've seen them as more of a, a pair um so yeah i don't really even see that as a as a factor I, I i definitely get what you're saying i guess i just never get that worried about alicia you know it's like She's 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 such a rock and like she has, sure she she's maybe not in in the greatest place with Will and Diane but 
I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 not I'm not concerned for her well being. I guess you're not concerned for her becoming somebody else, losing her personality, her kindness or warmth. No, because she's the central figure of a drama, and I don't think she's going to change that much. Okay, I think I think gradually you're right. She she she's she's had changes, but I think she's she's always been the the moral center of the show, even when she's made mistakes. Okay. Before we go to Monday, I want to mention that BBC America aired The Aztecs, which is one of the first Doctor stories. Doctor Who, of course, that is. And this is the 50th anniversary year of, of Doctor Who. It premiered in 1963. And so around the on the, mon- on the Sunday, which is closest to the 23rd, which is when it premiered, BBC America will be airing the a one of the stories of each doctor this time was of course the first doctor as well as a little special i was on i I missed the special because i was i was working on stuff for the site and i I lost track of time and i can't seem to find it now i don't know that they're re-airing it but i will definitely be looking out for the rest because i think it's pretty awesome that any doctor who fans who want can watch some classic doctor who around the 23rd of each month so i wanted to mention that on on sunday but let's move on to our final show of our week in tv which is Bunheads and The Astronaut and the Ballerina. Is it just me or was there an exceptional amount of yelling in this episode? There's a lot of yelling. A lot of yelling. So much so that it, it kind of got a little bit of testy for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just between Ginny and Mel and and Boo and I think everybody else, even mm-hmm. Carl, uh, there was just so much yelling, which I guess I shouldn't complain because, you know, everyone's in a tough spot on the show, but... So much yelling. Yeah, a lot of yelling. I, I got a bit of a headache. But other than that, it was a fine episode. I continue to be frustrated by the lack of a bunhead. I figure it's got to be got to be budget restrictions, right? So last week there was the no... Fact that, the fact that all of the bunheads are never in the same episode? Yeah, the last week there was no Boo. This week there's no Sasha. Oh, does that mean next week will be no Mel or Ginny or... This... this show is about you know it's about many things there's a lot of characters but one of the cores is that group of four girls together and i don't care about Cosette, and i don't care about frankie and i really don't care about Ginny's new stepmom i care about those four as a unit and to not have that has been incredible increasingly frustrating to me this half season what is this episode like three or four yeah, something like that. I, I mean, that's fair. It, it doesn't really bother me as long as over the course of the show, each girl's getting their due, which I don't feel like they were. And I feel like they're working on that, especially mm-hmm. with, I mean, Mel finally has a plot. So that's good. Uh, at least I don't really remember her getting much of one before. But um, uh, speaking of characters we do and don't care about, I do like Godot. I feel like he isn't quite the same as when we first encountered him. And yeah. Maybe that's because we... I, I feel like he he over he was playing the surfer aspects up more when we first met him, and now he's actually carrying himself differently. And I don't know if that's just because we know more about him, and so I'm perceiving him differently. But I'm pretty sure the performance is is different as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, but uh, but I do like the Godot we have now. So, you know, why not? I I got uh, I can't handle his name though. Who would <laughs> like? I I hate his parents. Who names their kid Godot? <laughs> That's just, it's so pretentious. It's terrible. But sorry, moving uh, and on. I, 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 and also, I'm not crazy about the uh, about the derby name they came up with. Oh, Cleus Maxtra? Like I feel like that needs work. Well, I, I like, uh, I mean, they did come up with it really quickly, but I think it, it fits her. I like that she enjoys that. 
And I was hoping to see a lot more roller derby. We just see like two seconds of her actually out there. So I was hoping we were going to get a lot more that she was going to immediately feel more more comfortable with it. But I, I guess that's going to be a recurring thing that they'll come back to. Hopefully we'll get a nice, you know, pretty badass roller derby scene at some point moving forward. What did you think of Scotty? I, I I like I mean I I did like that the I mean it, it seemed like a pretty standard uh, sibling situation where you know they show up everything's copacetic and then the insecurities gradually come out and then there's a blow up uh you know and and then of course we got the ukulele scene at the end which is cute I don't know it was pretty much it was a pretty standard you know sibling plot line that was well acted and decently well written so i i have no complaints it wasn't the most compelling thing either but i you know it 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 was there it was inoffensive well what a ringing endorsement <laughs> it's it's true though it's it's an accurate reading i think actually some of the most interesting things about that relationship are things that aren't mentioned i loved that in that conversation will come shouting match at the end, there's all of this talk about their mother and absolutely no mention ever of their father. So that one just assumes that the dad just kind of left and was never involved in their life and that that has done a lot to shape who Michelle is and, and who Scotty is as well. The The last thing I'll mention is I did think I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Jordan in this episode, but uh, I didn't really I didn't the last kind of sequence didn't wasn't interesting to me at all. Uh, but I did like his, his running of the class earlier. I thought that was pretty fun. So it's nice to get a little more Jordan. Yep. That wraps up our week in TV. Now, before we go to our DVD shelf, a few show notes. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find us up at soundonsite.org, where there will be a post for this episode of the podcast. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you think about all these different shows and what you think of, of Black Adder, which our discussion of which will come next. And uh, what should our question of the week be? Well, how about, uh, I mean, we had a couple shows ending this week, and we've got a couple more ending this coming week, so I'm curious about people's reactions to series finales, if they were okay with it, particularly Last Resort, if, if they actually stuck it out through the end. Of course, we have 30 Rock ending next week. Anything else I'm forgetting? Uh, well, we we had a premiere this week. Next week, we also have the Do No Harm premiere, so that's kind of... Oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, and and the Americans is premiering next week as well so there's a little of a transition between these two weeks of course you can find us up in iTunes we have an M4A feed as well as an MP3 feed you can leave us a comment there or a, or a uh, rating or a review we'd love to get some more ratings that helps other people find the show you can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com and of course we're both on Twitter I am at theteleverse you are at Sucker Howl. We're now we're going to take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our DVD shelf with Les Chapel of This Was Television and the AV Club talking Blackadder. I shall be at Mrs. Biggin's literary salon in 20 minutes. Bring the book there. Your Highness, may I offer my congratulations? Well, thanks, Blackadder. That pompous baboon won't be back in a hurry. Oh, on the contrary, sir. Dr. Johnson left in the highest of spirits. What? He is utterly thrilled at your promise to patronize his dictionary. I told him to sod off, didn't I? <laughs> yes, sir, but that was a joke. Surely. Was it? Certainly. And a brilliant one, what's more. Yes, yes, I, you know, I suppose it was rather, wasn't it? Yeah. So may I deliver your note of patronage to Dr. Johnson as promised? Well, of course, if that's what I promised, then that's what I must do. And I remember promising it distinctly. Excellent. Nice fire, Baldrick. Thank you, Mr. B. Right, let's get the book. Now, Baldrick, where's the manuscript? 
You mean the big papery thing tied up with string? Yes, Baldick, the manuscript belonging to Dr. Johnson. You mean the baity fellow in the black coat who just left? Yes, Baldick, Dr. Johnson. So you're asking where the big papery thing tied up with string <laughs> belonging to the baity fellow in the black coat who just left is? Yes, Baldick, I am. And if you don't answer, then the booted bony thing with five toes on the end of my leg will soon connect sharply with a soft, dangly collection of objects in your system. For the last time, Baldrick, where is Dr. Johnson's manuscript? On the fire. What the what? The hot, orangey thing under the stone. The fire, the the Flashing blade, unless you want to end up shorter. Black Adder, Black Adder, he rides a pitch black steed. Black Adder, Black Adder, he's very bad indeed. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are returning to Merry Old England. We tend to do a bunch of uh, DVD shelves from across the pond. And this week we are talking Black Adder. And to help us with that, from this was television and the AV Club, as well as several other places, it's Les Chapel. Les, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What made you pick Black Adder? Well, I picked Black Adder for a couple, a few reasons. One is we just finished a complete series discussion over at This Was Television, so it's still fresh in my mind. And the main reason is because you mentioned that you've done a lot of discussion of British series. Among British series, I think Blackadder is actually one of the best, if not the best, British comedy from the last couple of decades. It's just such a fascinating show because it's less of a sitcom and it's more of a comedy anthology series taking multiple periods of English history and putting a comic twist on it with the same actors, but playing subtly different roles each time around. It's just something that I've never seen anything quite like on comedy. And even, I think, I believe 20 years later, it still holds up remarkably well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, especially, especially, I mean, it's it's a funny show. Each season has a slightly different rapport between its main characters, though there, as you mentioned, a couple of them are mostly playing the same type, the same basic character. But because of that extra element of, of British culture and history and also the, the class issues that come up in, in this show, I think it it's... It's even more successful than if you took the same show with the same cast and transposed it to a different setting. I do think it's actually it's really interesting from that sociological perspective, as well as just being really funny. Exactly. It's a, it's a very it's a show that's very deeply rooted in English culture, and it has such a keen understanding of the four different periods that it's that it's that it's spending time with. It goes to the time uh, to the fifteenth century in the first series. The second series is in the Elizabethan the Elizabethan Regency. The third series is set at the time of King George, and then the fourth series is set in World War One. All four and all four of those are very important parts of British culture, but they're also fundamentally different ones. And the fact that it has the same cast playing essentially the same incarnations of each other, because Rowan Atkinson is playing essentially a descendant of the Blackadder from the first series in all four series, you get to see that through that character's warped, chaotic perspective. 
Well, and one of the things I actually enjoy about it is that there is, while it is the same essential character, uh, there's a bit of a shift between the first series and the second series and the rest of the show, that is. But it's interesting to think of it as sort of a progression through the generations. He starts out, Blackadder starts out as really, you know, while he's more aware than his brother Harry, he's uh, he's pretty snivelly and not particularly intelligent, and his uh, his his squire or whatever his his uh, servant is the more intelligent one and then with each successive series he gets more sarcastic more bitter more intelligent as he goes down in class from being the son of the king to being a, a career military uh character and so it's actually while it is the same types and, and is much of the same humor throughout the, the the four series as well as the specials there is an interesting progression as well that's entirely true, and of course, and one of the main progressions actually is a quality thing as well, because the first series of Blackadder is not very good. In fact, it's frequently <laughs> awful in a lot of places. It has there's a, there are a couple really good episodes. The Archbishop, I actually I think I'd hold against some of the later episodes quality wise, and of course, the first series has Brian Blessed in all capitals doing <laughs> doing his wonderful Brian Blessed thing. But it's just definitely a show that they it's the old it's the old trope about the first time you're doing a comedy. You're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. So the first series is shot on a much grander scale. Like it's actually filmed in an in a castle. I can't remember offhand which castle it is. It incorporates original Shakespearean dialogue. It even says in the credits additional dialogue by William Shakespeare. Well, it's usually somewhat twisted from the quotes you remember, but that is definitely something I enjoyed. <laughs> If you were to look close enough, you can see the original the original yeah. context buried in there. But at, and it's at the same time, you mentioned the dynamic between the characters as essentially it's as flipped from what it will be in later series. That Edmund Duke of Edinburgh, the Black Adder, is essentially a sniveling little weasel trying to trying to curry favor with various nobles and with his father and baldrick is the servant who he who's more providing the subtle hints to his idiotic master and as time goes on black blackadder becomes the intelligent one and baldrick becomes more the foil yeah um and it, it is something that is that that element of brian blessed and the shakespearean dialogue uh I, I as a shakespeare aficionado i that was something that while the first season is a little more hit and miss than the rest the first series that is by the time you hit that third episode with the uh with the buying the pardons and the archduke uh, the archbishop of canterbury i was in it's from the silly hands approach uh, up to the king that Ron Atkinson does in that episode. I was I was just all in with Blackadder. Uh, Simon, what about you? Had you seen Blackadder before? I had never seen any Blackadder, and in fact, I don't think I've watched any Ron Atkinson materials of any kind since I was very very young. Uh, and of course, I was really only sadly familiar with Mr. Bean, like I think many North Americans. Uh, but I, I I I had time to watch I believe five episodes of this uh, spread out over the course of the of the entire run. And uh, it really is something else. And I think what's uh, most interesting to me is it's got this perfect blend of highbrow and lowbrow humor. And it can get fairly highbrow in terms of, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the Shakespeare quotations and misquotations uh, to, you know, boner jokes <laughs> and everything in between and sometimes lower and sometimes higher. And uh, I, I think what's also fascinating is uh, the evolution or non-evolution of Blackadder from incarnation to incarnation. Ultimately... 
there is this common denominator where whether he's gotten more or less intelligent, he is, you know, his ultimate shared characteristic in every incarnation is self-interest and self-preservation. And, uh, and, and that, that I think is a relative constant. What, what is, what's also a constant is that, uh, you know, is that as awful as Blackadder is, generally speaking, his superiors are worse in every context. Exactly. And that's, that's what, one of the interesting things about Blackadder is because no matter how you slice it or which episode you watch, Blackadder is an asshole. <laughs> he's, he's sarcastic He's obnoxious. He has absolutely no respect for anyone other than himself. He'll gladly sell out anyone in his way. Percy, Baldrick, Melchett, Darling. He has absolutely no regard for any of these people. But it's impossible to dislike him for it because, A, he's, he possesses some of the, sharp, the sharpest wit on television. Like he can say, he says things along the line of, Baldrick, to you, the Renaissance was just something that happened to other people, wasn't it? <laughs> so he, he, and he, he, he always has a cunning retort or a cunning plan, as, of course, the series is fam famously <laughs> phrased. And, of course, and as you say, Simon, the reason why it's hard to dislike him is because he's this way because he has to deal with a group of idiots, because everyone... And is... or even bigger assholes. Precisely, because <laughs> you look at... Uh, because he's dealing with Queen Elizabeth, who's this wonderfully childish figure who has absolutely no regard for her own power. You have Prince George, who's the classic fop. And then you have General Melchett, who will gleefully throw away a thousand men just to move a drinks cabinet six inches closer to Berlin. So in a way, despite the fact that Blackadder is someone you never want to root for, and you feel you're, and he's completely justified in losing in all the episodes that he loses in you still kind of root for the guy because he's a lesser of two evils. Well, and I think that's when the first season started to kick in for me. And it's in that third episode, the archbishop where all in the first two, it's more him scheming in the third episode. He has to, he, he's still scheming, but it's, to get out of a bind because he's about to be killed because he's trying to get out of a situation where he knows he's in peril. And I think that is when the, the most successful episodes deal with that. Like in some way he screws up and therefore he needs to get out of a bind as opposed to oppressing other people, which is somewhat, you know, what happens in the, the early parts of the, the first season, the first series, first couple episodes that is. And I think that's when you, when you take that to the extreme, that's where you get black Adder goes forth the fourth series, which I think um, has one of the best final episodes ever. I, I really love the final episode of, of Blackadder. And I think not only is it successful comedically and dramatically, of course, it has a very memorable, very dramatic ending, but it works that that ending, I think, works because we've had all the previous seasons, uh, which had, for the most part, very silly endings. Everybody dies from getting poisoned by a cup or, or things like that, where it was, uh, you know, you had seasons to build up to that one dramatic payoff line and, and and then it all sort of just comes together in that moment and i think that's why aside from the blackadder goes forth probably being i think the best of the four series i think that's why it's so good that they never did a fifth series because i don't think you could do the show anymore after that final moment well and the, and there's a certain poetry in a strange way it, you know be, i mean because inevitably when a show ends you want to look back at the first episode and see how things come full circle or don't. And there's there's a certain like comic or dramatic poetry to 
you know, the opening incarnation of Black Adder being an inadvertent king killer uh, to, in mm-hmm. the end, just being another, what we assume, just another body in the trenches. Yeah. Well, uh, to, to interject quickly on that, this, I do agree that the series finale of Black Adder Goes Forth is fantastic. It's an episode where, after I finished it, I think believe the first thing I said on Twitter was, God damn it, no one warned me this series was going to make me cry. Because, yeah, yeah Blackadder has it. The endings of Blackadder I found were sort of hit and miss. Like, the first one is essentially a rock's fall and everyone dies ending, which is funny in its way, but it's not that great. Uh, Blackadder 2's ending, it's essentially a closing a scene after the closing credits where you see that the evil Prince Ludwig has murdered everyone off camera. The third series, which I actually I actually prefer the third series to the fourth, and I like the way that sort of ends that Black Ad- that sort of ends with the inverse of the first series that Black Adder some be, due to the fact that the prince dies unexpectedly while disguised as Black Adder lets him slide into the role of the king. But that fourth series ending is it's a phenomenal thing. My our, my friend Robert Sullivan named it the fifteenth greatest sitcom episode of all time, and he's definitely not wrong to do so. Because that one works, because the whole series, his back's been to the wall, and he's been tr- he's tried increasingly dramatic ways to get out of the trenches, and then at the end he just simply says, fuck it, there's nothing else to do here, may as well go for it. Another element to why setting, because I know there were various talks of should they do a fifth series, and where would it be set, and all of that, and with each series moving forward, I, I think, and of course I'm sure I'll get lots of you know, feedback, please, the televerse at gmail.com about this. But it seems like the the results, one of the results of the trench warfare and the horror of World War One, was sort of a breakdown in that that notion of, um, to some extent, of, of the class element being quite as rigid as it was in England, and as well as just go off and the the high class says, you know, the, the officer ruling class says, go out and just, just get machine gun down. And they do, and I think it. Uh, I think it's one of the effects of. Uh, I think British culture was very much affected by that, and so there wouldn't necessarily be the same like class structure to to play with if it was set later. And speaking of class structure, and aside, I've been catching up on season two of Downton Abbey over the last couple of weeks. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Uh... And I, I have not minded it as much as other people have, but I haven't gotten to the Patrick Crawley episode yet. <laughs> but I mentioned that because. Black Adder Goes Forth utterly ruined my ability to take the Downton Abbey World War II scene seriously. When Crawley, <laughs> when Matthew was about to go all over the trench, the only thing I could think of was, what's running through his mind right now, made a note in my diary, simply says, bugger. <laughs> and it also, had, it also had me deeply wishing for a crossover where General Melchett and Captain Darling went for, went for dinner at Downton one evening. Oh, you, you mentioned Captain Darling. This is the second time. I think that's got to be my single favorite gag in the entire series. Just naming that character Darling. It's just, it's, and, and, and I actually think the episode in which they most comment on it, which of course has uh, the, the Hugh Laurie character in drag and lots of, is he say is Melchett saying my darling referencing <laughs> that? Or is oh he, my God. That, that one was a little on the nose for me, but the rest of the series, I was just, what's that darling? Every time I laugh, whether yeah. it's Blackadder, whether it's Melchett, any, it's just, I think that has to do with the performance. You no, know, Tim Tim McGurney is terrific in that so role. So good, and, and it's kind of it's, it's it's sort of interesting the way he wound up in that role. Uh, he'd been in the first two series as as Lord Percy, essentially one of the. 
the hapless noble Blackadder kept dragging into his schemes. And he left for the third series because he didn't want to get typecast. When they were writing the fourth series, they asked him to come back, and he said he would, but he wanted to play a completely different character. So they wrote this utter psychophant to be Melchit's right-hand man and more of an antagonist to him. They were... Their original idea was to name him Captain Cartwright, but they but they wanted to do something better. So Stephen Fry said, "How about we just call him Darling?" <laughs> but no, he's he's absolutely terrific in the fourth series, far much far better than I would say in the first and second. One of the other fun elements of this for me was, of course, seeing Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, who I you know, was first introduced to with with Jeeves as a, as a kid, and then of course to to see Hugh Laurie, you know, he's of course gone on to do House, and which we've talked about on the DVD shelf. But to see them here, it you know, the, especially when when you have Hugh Laurie playing the playing King George in the third series, which is like a, a dafter, less intelligent ver- version of Wooster, basically um, from Jesus Wooster. It was so much fun to watch the the two of them interact, but also just to watch Hugh Laurie get to do a bunch of comedy. Exactly. Uh, The reason I think I prefer the third series to the fourth series is because the third series just has the best core ensemble. It varies between them, but the the third series, it's the core of Blackadder, Baldrick, and the Prince Regent, where you have Blackadder as as below the prince, subservient, but obviously the far more intelligent of them, and Baldrick just floats floating around to do whatever menial task Blackadder asks him to. I think those three had the best core chemistry of any of the pairings. Simon, what about you? Which did you prefer? Uh, just to be clear, I saw two from series one and then one from each of the others. I forget, I forget whether I said that already. Or not. You got your proportions wrong. I know, I know. I, I, I realize that now. Um, yeah, uh, which episode from the, which episodes did you watch? Uh, let's see. Uh, from series one, I saw the first and third episodes. Uh, okay, yeah, Born to be King and the Archbishop. In uh, series two, I watched Head. Oh, good choice. Uh, That's probably one of the best ones. Uh, which, which may have just for pure laughs, I think may have been actually the funniest episode. Just, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for lowbrow body humor. Um, and uh, series three, I watched again episode two, Ink and Capability with Robbie. Oh, Cole that Train. good choices. Those are actually my favorite episodes from their respective series. Uh, well, you can thank Kate because she suggested them. Well done, Kate. In uh, in, in series four, I watched the uh, the finale. I, I wish I'd had more time to see more of series four because uh, that is, as Kate already mentioned, one incredible finale. So in that limited interaction, so you you had the most fun with series two then. Uh, I would say yes, but you know I, that's that's a, that's heavily biased. <laughs> I think season I think season two is a more. I, I think I would say it's a bit more of a fun series. The Blackadder the Third is a bit more deep in the political aspect of things because you've got the issue with the dictionary, you've got the rotten burrow, the episode with the rotten burrows, and you've got the prince almost getting assassinated in one episode, and the French Revolution's tied into it. Whereas Blackadder Two is more about simply Blackadder trying to curry favor at court and trying to undermine the people like Melchit and Nursey. I do. Uh, one of the things I most enjoyed about the second series, and we already we already touched on it, but uh, Miranda Richardson as as Queen Elizabeth, it's just such a delightful take on a character we've seen so many versions of in you know various you know film and in uh, TV movies and such. But from what Kate Blanchett and Helen Mirren to, to such various different takes to have her just be this utterly irresponsible and self-absorbed bratty child which 
yeah, obviously we don't care if it's historically accurate. It's hilarious. No, <laughs> she she's so wonderfully daffy. And the only thing I'd ever seen her in before this was the sadly short lived Rubicon, where she oh, was yeah, yeah, where totally, she and her, totally different. And which her plot sadly had no bearing on the show at all. But nope. that's beside the point. And if that ever comes up, maybe I'll I'd love to come back and talk about that one. But she she's just so utterly utterly sadistic almost and, she, and in such a high girlish voice where she says things like oh Edmund you're so cross sometimes I think about having you executed just to see the look on your face <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it's 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 a great take on the character I enjoy when the, when she comes back you know this sense of uh, ensemble and repertory to the to the casting in the show is another element that I very much enjoy one of the the Guests, the one of the very few guests that I'm not a fan of is Flashheart, who comes oh, back three times. Uh, is that just me? I I don't think he's funny no, at that, all. No, I, I'm entire I'm entirely on board with you on that. Uh, my friend Noel Kirkpatrick, who we did the who I help, who was one of the people who did the Blackadder discussions over at This Was TV with, he's more of a fan of the character, but I've just never he. I think for a show that's usually a bit more, it's more fond of playing subtler tones on characters. He's just loud brash and overt and it and it, it's always felt very atonal with the rest of the series to me Flashheart actually reminds me a lot of ace rimmer from uh from red dwarf who's this you know because of course rimmer is this very annoying uh hologram character who's uh, just the most bureaucratic and frustrating you know character there he's incredibly uptight and so then his, an alter ego shows up ace rimmer who's like a hot shot you know, Viper pilot kind of e thing. You know, if you were going to go to the world of of uh, Battlestar to compare it to, um, and he has he's very much that Flashheart per- persona, only really fun and entertaining, and not just screechy. I feel like Flashheart is screechy. Um, it doesn't help. I imagine if you like the character, you enjoy that he says the same three lines of dialogue each time he shows up. But I really had trouble with, with that that character. To to contrast that though, pretty much every other guest appearance I really enjoyed. And actually, the the cast that they bring in is some of the most entertaining parts of watching the show. Being like, oh look, it, it, it's it's the doctor. It's Tom Baker. It's Tom Baker as the, as the legless captain. Yeah, that, that that that's actually an absolutely wonderful moment in the episode Potato that I noticed because you have in one scene Simon Jones, you have Stephen Fry, you have Tom Baker, and you have Rowan Atkinson. That's a room that contains Edmund Blackadder, Jeeves, the Fourth Doctor, and Arthur Dent. That's like yeah. a summit meeting of British TV classic. <laughs> it's so, and it's such like a to eleven kind of character, such so. Crazy and and um, and potentially over the top, but it's balanced between the various characters um, in in a way that makes it really work. And I, I feel like maybe with Flashheart, the difference is that no one seems to to balance his energy. Um, but yeah, with 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 uh, you know the the type of people that they're bringing in. Obviously, we are talking about Brian Blessed, but you know you have in and in, in these recurring characters, you have some of the biggest uh, celebrities. You've got you've got Robbie Coltrane playing Sir Edmund Johnson in Ink and Incapability, and 
I, though I, I, it always, it always made me sad that they never brought that they never brought Brian Blessed back after the after the first series. I would have loved to have a cameo at the end of Blackadder the Third when the king when the prince's mad father comes in. If that had been played by Brian Blessed, that would have been a wonderful twist. Or even something like uh, in in Back and Forth, which of course is the the special that sees Blackadder and. Uh, and and Baldrick time traveling was yeah you know, I think each of those specials are actually a lot of fun. That would have been a perfect opportunity to, to bring him back, and unfortunately, it didn't happen. Yeah, and well, you just going back to you, you mentioned black back and forth, which was the two thousand the two thousand special they did that actually did cast the characters in modern times. As much as I do think that Goodbye makes such a wonderfully poignant close to the series as a whole, I am I am glad that they did back and forth as essentially an epilogue that hits some of the greatest hits of the series, but then also finally lets Blackadder realize his dream to become King Edmund. <laughs> well, and there's also, of course, the Cavalier Years, which is a short and... Uh... And then, then of course, the Christmas Carol. I love the way that they turned it on its head in Christmas Carol, where Blackadder starts out as the most helpful, generous, kindest man in all of England, and then he gets visited by a ghost, and the ghost <laughs> manages to undo everything. And he, and he does it by again. It's another greatest hits because then you get a scene of Blackadder two, you get a scene of Blackadder the third. Well, a and new it, scene, yes. Yeah, and then it, it, so those uh, those are wonderful little Christmas snippets, and then it bizarrely takes us into a future that only the 1980s could have depicted where elizabeth is the, where elizabeth is the emperor is the empress of the universe and blackadder is wearing the most wonderful space pirate garb and poor baldrick's still limited to a cod piece well and you have the green lasers all over the place and it's, <laughs> yeah it's it's so 80s it's wonderful gotta love an 80s future there's something about the 80s futures that are just so entertaining and maybe we'll do some anime that maybe we'll do some fist of the north star at some point so we can talk about more 80s futures but um <laughs> you, no. you can call noel about that he loves talking anime <laughs> well we'll have to do um now do we we've already talked a little bit about uh some of these performances i do want to say rowan atkinson i i've seen some bean here and there of course he shows up in memorable turns in things like love actually and, and other films and stuff I have so much respect for him as an actor after having watched, I, I've seen the entire stretch of Blackadder. I mean, he's, I think he's really funny in the first season, even if it doesn't necessarily work as well as later. And then, you know, the, the comedy, the, just the, the levels of all these characters are handled so specifically in each of the series. And then down to the final dramatic moments that he has in, in the end of the fourth series. I want to go watch, uh, I want to watch a Rowan Atkinson drama now after having seen this. Yeah, he, Atkinson is phenomenal at this character. I've never seen anyone who can just utter the phrase "Oh God" with such con which is such raw, likable contempt every time he's suffering these fools. And he he can do obsequious, he can do rage, he can do scheming. It, it's just an utterly iconic character. But something I did want to talk, I did want to touch on is just how important the relationship between Blackadder and Baldrick is to the core of the series. I've, I'm on record as saying I think it's one of the best. It's a comedic pairing that belongs on the same level as Jeeves and Wooster, of just how much both of those characters 
play off of the how much Atkinson and Tony Robinson play off each other and feed each other lines and just how utterly likable Baldrick manages to remain in the face of Black Adder's scorn. Even though he's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, Baldrick. The dinosaurs were wiped out by your pants. <laughs> yeah, I do think that um, Black Adder probably wouldn't work, the character, that is, if Baldrick didn't seem to be okay with him. If Baldrick, if, if he looked hurt every time Black Adder made fun of him, we would not be okay with Blackadder as a character. And so it's important that he be there. He accepts it as his lot in life. And Blackadder will say these things and all he'll say is, very good, my lord. Yeah, and he's just, you know, he's he's good with it. He's good with the way that uh, that that he apparently has, his life has turned out. Well, and, all, and, all he needs is a turnip to make him happy. Well, you know, it's the simple things. And, and, the, and the presence of the persistent presence of Baldrick also keeps the class and servitude issue front and center even when it doesn't seem like it really is yeah absolutely do we have any favorite episodes any final thoughts that we wanted before we wrap up um well favorite episodes I mentioned a couple of the ones before in the first series the archbishop is definitely the best one second series uh head is probably the best but I chains the season finale which is the first one that brings Hugh Laurie in as the evil prince Ludwig just has some wonderful <laughs> some wonderful acting from Hugh Laurie there as he's basically playing a mad German prince, which is, which pops up again in the third. Uh, Dish and Dishonesty, the third season premiere, is terrific. Uh, Corporal Punishment that sees Blackadder on trial for shooting a pigeon in the fourth <laughs> one. It's, it, it's just there's <laughs> there are so many wonderful moments and wonderful scenes in the series that it's so hard to put a I need to. I want to keep a book of Blackadder quotes on hand to have the absolute right insult for the absolute right time. <laughs> Simon, uh, well, you already said your favorite was the second series, but I, I really enjoyed every episode I watched, and I I, I wish I'd had time to watch the entire run because uh, it it clearly is a fantastic show. Well, yeah, and it's one that again we mentioned four series and several specials, but each season, each series has six episodes. So if you have time and you have the the shiny complete series DVD set, you can just you know, streamline through these guys. They're each half an hour long in yep, the and, course of a day or two. Yeah, and the completes and the complete series run is on Netflix, as is the Christmas special. Uh, Back and forth in the Cavalier years are both easily available on YouTube as well. Yeah, so it's it's something that you, that the listeners should absolutely check out if they haven't seen. And uh, I I was surprised to see my enjoyment with of the series growing, you know, with each series. And for a show that because it is so repetitive, of course, I mean, my final thoughts would be it was so important for them to change time periods with each series. I think that is probably the smartest thing that they did because they, they did the same jokes over and over again would get old if they didn't change up something. Um, but then, then in the same note, while each series does change setting and characters to some extent, these are still mostly, for the most part, the same jokes, and it doesn't get old. And it should, but it doesn't. And that goes to the quality of the writing. We should mention, of course, Richard Curtis, who everybody knows from you know, British romantic comedies, uh, as well as a fabulous episode of Doctor Who, uh, Vincent and the Doctor. Um, and... And then, of course, this show was created by him and Ron Atkinson, and then Ben Elton came on as the co-writer for the rest of the series after series one. Um, it yeah, which should... might 
which could possibly, I mean, we've said so many wonderful things about Atkinson's portrayal, but I would definitely give Ben Elton a lot of credit for sort of being there at a position when the BBC, the BBC, the first series was so expensive and didn't do so well that they refused to make another series without some serious creative shifts. And Ben Elton did a long way to sort of restructuring it and putting it in more of a, like it's the laugh. I've I've talked with a couple people about this. The laugh track on Blackadder is really important in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not like you're not going to laugh at them otherwise, but it gives them a definite. The it gives it a sense of performance and a sense of flow that is very necessary, and which is honestly a little strange when they take it away in in back and forth. Well, and it's something that I I believe the first because the first series was shot on location, and it was. so th then it was aired for an audience, and they recorded the laugh track from that. The second and third series were recorded for a live audience, I believe, and it's one of those situations where the laugh track doesn't bother you because it's accurate. It doesn't feel like it's been goosed at times, you know. So there's nobody laughing when something isn't funny, and and so that's only that's where the laugh track issues that I have come up and. Because the, the series earns all of its laughs that we hear, it you know it works. It's not an issue. But yeah, so I, to go back the the fact that it's not that it doesn't get tired or old. The same general jokes series after series is a real testament to the writing and the performances. So check out Blackadder if you have not seen it. Any other final thoughts? Um. Well, I would. I will just say. I'll just say in, in closing that this is a show where I. I I'm a, I'm a noted Anglophile for in my television, but this is one of the few shows that I really wish I was from England because I feel like so much of the political of the political humor that's portrayed, especially in the third series, it would be so much more meaningful if I was if I was from that country. But otherwise, it's there's just such a core the core of there's always idiots in charge and the core of the show. It's a world full of idiots and there's this asshole trying to con them out of their money and it's just really hard to look down on a show like that, especially when it's one as well as well written and well acted as Blackadder is. Well, on that note, uh, Les, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me at many, many places. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the founders of This Was Television. We're at thiswastv.com. I contribute to the AV Club at avclub.com. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash l-e-s-i-s-m-o-r-e-9 letter O nine. That's twitter.com slash less is more nine Oh nine. Thank you very much for coming on. And as ever, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse.